Hello everybody and welcome to this, this BICOM webinar. Uh, my name is Sam, I'm the Research Associate at BICOM and I'll be moderating today's discussion. Um, BICOM and, and everyone here were kind of obviously very fortunate to have one or if not the kind of most renowned Israeli experts on the Israeli-Arab conflict and particularly for the Arab world, um, Mr Ehud Yari. Ehud is, is a leading kind of Middle East commentator for Israel's Channel 12 News and he has been on Israeli television screens for over four decades. Um, he has won numerous awards for, for journalism, um, including the Israeli Press Editor-in-Chief's Prize for his coverage of the peace process, um, the Sokolov Prize for his coverage of the Lebanon War and the Israel Broadcasting Award for the coverage of the Gulf War. He is currently a Lafer International Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. And on top of all of that, um, Ehud has also found the time to write eight books on the Israeli-Arab uh, conflict over the last 40 years, all of which I highly recommend you go and read if you haven't done so. So um, Ehud, thank you so much for, for joining us and giving us your time today. My pleasure. Um, just for people who have joined the call, just let you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll conduct this as, as a Q&A based webinar. So I'll start off and ask some questions to Ehud, obviously around the kind of latest escalation between Israel, Hamas and Gaza. Um, if you do have any questions, then you can either submit them in the Q&A function, or if you prefer to ask Ehud directly yourself, then just raise your hand and I can bring you into the, the discussion. Um, so Ehud, I think obviously it's permanent or probably that we actually start kind of around the Gaza escalation. Can you just give us a, uh, a sense of how Israel's felt about the kind of the latest escalation? Did the public or do the public think that it was a success and is a ceasefire with no conditions? Is it, has it been supported in Israel? Uh, I think that uh, um, most of the public uh, uh, was opposed to the, um, the option of a ground uh, invasion of Gaza. What's the purpose? You don't want to stay there and you don't want to pay the price uh, of a ground invasion. So people accept that uh, the IDF, mainly the uh, Air Force, but not only the Air Force, has achieved uh, what they were planning uh, to achieve and therefore the ceasefire uh, is widely acceptable and within seconds uh, Israel was uh, kicked back into normalcy. Um, I think that it is important to uh, to give a plastic picture of what the situation is. Hamas, uh, in, in spite of the fact that they are showing all the time the V sign and they are cheering and, and celebrating a victory, they seem to me and I'm talking to them a lot uh, now that the ceasefire is on. They seem to me like a boxer uh, wobbly in the ring, um, seeking uh, support uh, under ropes, uh, bleeding, uh, not entirely uh, uh, able uh, to punch back, uh, badly shaken. That's the picture. Um, they have been deprived of most of their assets. Their military doctrine proved to be a complete failure. 
they went bankrupt in military uh, terms. Of course, they were able to uh, punch buttons, hundreds of buttons, uh, sometimes a day during the uh, fighting and lob uh, imprecise uh, uh, rockets uh, into Israeli towns and townlets and uh, villages that worked. By the way, they, they are now left with maybe 60,000 uh, rockets, mostly short range, out of the 14,000 they had at the uh, outset. Their military industries, the workshops and factories uh, in which they assembled these uh, rockets were almost entirely wiped out. Their system of underground tunnels, what we call the metro, which was huge, uh, which serves as attack tunnels, as command and control position, uh, as shelter, as for all military purposes, uh, over 100 kilometers were collapsed by uh, heavy bombs uh, thrown from by the uh, uh, Air Force, uh, very accurately, uh, I must say. All other methods, what they call the surprises, that they have uh, prepared, uh, such as uh, attack drones, suicide drones, uh, quadrupters laden with uh, explosives, sort of a mini sub submarine, sort of a torpedo, uh, unmanned, aimed at, uh, meant to be aimed at uh, Israeli uh, naval units uh, off the coast of uh, Gaza, nothing worked. And the Iron Dome was uh, capable of uh, intercepting more than maybe 92% of the rockets uh, which were heading to uh, populated uh, areas out of, let's say, almost 5,000 rockets and uh, mortar shells, but mostly rockets fired by Hamas and Islamic Jihad. 20% fell uh, inside the Gaza Strip, over 5% fell in the sea, and casualties in Israel uh, were 12 civilian dead, out of them two ladies who unfortunately stumbled on their way to the safe room. So when Hamas military leaders, and they were the ones calling the shot, uh, I'm not going into this now unless you want me to, but basically there was a takeover of Hamas by its military wing and the political leadership was completely sidelined ahead of the con confrontation. So when they take stock and look around and think uh, what did they achieve, their conclusion is one, and I'm hearing it from them, that it probably was a mistake to lob uh, six uh, rockets towards Jerusalem. Very similar to uh, what uh, Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah said after the a 2006 war in Lebanon, had I known, I wouldn't have abducted uh, the soldiers. And this reaches a point where you hear for the first time from the top echelon of Hamas uh, whispers. It's not yet out loud, 
whispers suggesting maybe we need to, to talk to the Israelis directly rather than use intermediaries like the Egyptians or Qataris or uh, others. And the example they are given is that uh, why can't they follow in the footsteps of the Taliban who don't shake hands or exchange kisses with the American uh, uh, interlocutors, but they sit down together and reach agreements. That's the new music that you hear from them. Fascinating. So if, if you think there's, there's, there's signs of a shift in Hamas's thinking, uh, particularly in the, the higher echelons, um, do you think there's a shift in Israel's thinking? Do you think if Hamas does extend a handout towards direct negotiations, do you think that be reciprocated by the Israeli government? Kind of what should the Israeli government do now um, in terms of, of Gaza? I think where what's, uh, Sam, what's on the table now is the idea. It's not yet a plan. And I have my serious doubts whether it will become uh, an implementable plan. The idea is to uh, arrange for a very, very significant package of economic aid to Gaza in order to lift uh, the population out of uh, this awful uh, poverty. Uh, Hamas has agreed that such a package can be handled by others, such as the Palestinian Authority, which was very reluctant in the past to step, into, to step back into uh, Gaza, but they don't have a solution. Uh, during the, uh, uh, negotiate, the, the conversations with uh, Secretary Blinken here yesterday, and I believe with your foreign minister uh, today, they don't have a solution to how you make sure that cement, iron, dual-use uh, uh, items, etc., that are sent to Gaza, do not uh, fall into the hands of Hamas as happened before. Because what we have learned was that they were using most of the cement that was going for reconstruction in Gaza for digging the tunnels. And I don't think the United States is willing to be underground. I don't think the European Union is willing to be underground. I know for fact, because I checked it earlier this morning, that the moderate Arab states are not willing to be underground. And if the PA uh, takes a very courageous decision to be underground in Gaza, to supervise the effort, uh, then I believe that uh, the officials uh, which will be sent or hired by the PA, including uh, its uh, security agencies will be frightened, coerced, bribed, etc., and it won't be effective. So here is the, the real issue at stake. So maybe I can, I can ask you kind of two questions from, from that kind of that line of thinking. Firstly, um, let's, let's go to kind of President Abbas. Do, do, you think, do you think the PA is, or do you think he is likely to ever want to get back involved in, in, in Gaza with Hamas there? Do you think there is a possibility that Abbas will send, like you said, send PA officials back to, back to Gaza? Um, what's, how, how has Abbas kind of assessed this latest escalation in terms of his position via, via Hamas? Abbas 
and it's important to keep in mind. Abbas, it's very much on his mind that his father died of old age, no serious disease, at the age of 103. So at 86, he sees himself. He sees himself, and many people don't realize it, almost as a mid-career politician. Hamas has been inviting him to take over um, the civilian management of the Gaza Strip, sewage, services, salaries, whatever, long ago, because Hamas' uh, aim is to uh, 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 copy the model of Hezbollah in Lebanon. Let's be the army. Let's play the strongest uh, uh, player uh, in the arena. But let's have others deal with all the uh, headache of managing two million people in poverty uh, in Gaza. And this is why Abbas was reluctant, because to go to send his people to Gaza, he himself refused to come, although he was invited previously by Hamas. So Abbas is saying to himself, do I want to play this game? And so far, his answer was negative. Um, I am in no position at this moment to predict how he will act if uh, that package for Gaza will be uh, sponsored by US, EU, the Quartet, you name it, and some Arab uh, states. Um, he may do uh, something. Uh, if I may, just two points that we have to, to keep in mind. One, there is a big uh, debate going on within, within Fatah. Not those who split from Fatah, like uh, Arafat's nephew, Dr. Nasser al-Kidwa, or Muhammad Dahlan, but within mainstream Fatah, there is a divide, a deepening divide between those who are saying, we need to find a formula with Hamas, and those who are saying, they are our enemies. They are out to get us. Uh, one of the uh, uh, proposals uh, in play now is, the possibility that there will be some sort of an agreement between Hamas and the PA on forming a government of technocrats um, to run both uh, territories. We are not there. When we come to Hamas, there is a deepening divide in Hamas between those people, for example, uh, Yahya Sinwar, who was barely re-elected as chief of Hamas in, in Gaza, and many on the political and the Dawah, the religious wing of the organization, who are saying, we can't escape it. It's time we, we do something for the population. Otherwise, we will find ourselves sitting on the tip of a volcano. A divide between them and the military chiefs, like Muhammad Dev, like Marwan Isa, like the different brigade commanders 
uh, of Hamas, who are saying Hamas is not about uh, serving the people. It's about jihad. So we have the two sides are now split. So if the, if the two sides are split, do you think the US, Israel, Egypt, the Gulf states, do you think any of those actors can shift this, this kind of this, this debate in, in Hamas and Fatah towards a kind of, you know, a technocratic agreement to try and find some sort of mechanism in play that can help Gaza? Do you think any actors can, you know, have the, have the political will to, to want to get involved and to try and shift this debate that's happening right now inside the Palestinian arena? Uh, I believe that the um, results of the recent uh, uh, conflict of the, this exchange of very nasty blows between Israel and uh, Hamas probably strengthens the hand of those in Hamas who are saying, take five. Mm. We need to think it over, not to give up the, the sacred uh, uh, objective of uh, destroying Israel, but what do we do in the next few years? Uh, another factor which may be strengthening this uh, inclination is the fact that during the recent con conflict, both Turkey and Qatar have lost their role. I take you back to the previous conflict, 2014, where uh, Secretary Kerry was personally responsible for extending fighting to 51 days because he was trying to work through the Qataris and the uh, uh, Turks instead of through the Egyptians, hmm. who have proven themselves once again as being able to exercise uh, a good degree of influence uh, uh, over Hamas. Uh, so yes, I think that we have now a fairly good chance of uh, getting into a de facto, not necessarily formal agreement of a long-term Hudna, armistice, as it's called in Arabic, with an economic package, provided somebody can come up with an ingenious uh, mechanism, how to supervise the material going into the Gaza Strip. Um, and I assume that if no one does come up with that mechanism, or you know, if if countries just aren't, as you say, willing to put their boots on the ground in Gaza, is your opinion that you know we could be back here in another couple of years? With, with another escalation? Or do you think the Hamas military leadership are actually serious now about, I think the idea of said like a five year quiet would, would, be a, would be a success. I don't know about the um, uh, prophecies uh, and how long uh, this ceasefire can, can, can last. I think it can be much longer. Hmm. Um, and the reason by the way is that in spite of everything that has happened amongst uh, some Arabs in Israel, Israeli citizens, and whatever happened in the West Bank, the bottom line is the West Bank didn't erupt. You had incidents, quite a few of them, but the West Bank 
demonstrated that they are not interested in, in, in an intifada number three. Very obvious. And regarding the Israeli Arabs, by the way, the rioting and the lynching was led mainly by uh, criminal gangs with firearms because police has neglected for years uh, taking care of this uh, problem. And Hamas understands that uh, we are already seeing the Israeli Arab sector uh, back to normalcy, West Bank back to normalcy, and they are deeper in the sewage. Uh, you know, the day just before that, just before the ceasefire was declared at uh, 2 a.m., uh, Hamas sent his people on the streets of Gaza to beat up or arrest uh, uh, people charged with uh, spreading rumors. That's the official terms which is a good indication of what is the mood amongst many in the street. Um, I have a couple of questions that have come through about Iran and Hezbollah and, um, and that kind of dynamic in terms of um, how much kind of Hamas is controlled by, by Iran. So perhaps you can, you can answer that one. And also um, maybe just give a sense of, of, obviously there were some rocket attacks last week coming from, from Lebanon but Hezbollah came, but it wasn't them. So maybe just kind of give a sense of what Hezbollah was thinking last week and why I decided not to, to get involved. Okay, I'll go first to the second part of your fa uh, question, and then I go to the first part, which I think is extremely important because what I find uh, is a lot of misunderstanding of the relationship between Hamas uh, and Iran. The Iranians could do very little for Hamas during this conflict. And generally, because the, they cannot smuggle arms anymore, because the Egyptians took care of the thousand tunnels along the, the Egyptian Gaza border, um, because the sea is sealed by the Israeli uh, Navy. They can provide them with blueprints, and uh, Hamas engineers and technicians are quite good at uh, assembling these rockets, etc., using pipes and whatever improvised stuff uh, they have. So what the Iranians and Hezbollah were trying to do is to uh, show some degree of solidarity without, without taking too much risk. So in Lebanon, they allowed a Hamas Palestinian group from the refugee camp of Rashidiye next to the uh, port city of Tyre uh, to try and lob uh, 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 rockets uh, into uh, to, towards uh, uh, Haifa uh, port. Uh, it did not succeed. Uh, by the way, there is for years now a memorandum of understanding, let me call it by this name, between Hamas and Hezbollah for military cooperation. It's not something new. So I'm coming from uh, the northernmost village in Israel, of course, the most beautiful one, 
Metula, which is surrounded on three sides by the Lebanese border, and you go to sleep in Metula, what you see is huge, huge Hezbollah flags on the hill, on the hills around the, 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 this Alpine uh, village. So they sent um, demonstrators to the fences of Metula, especially across, uh, 100 meters across from the home of the head of the municipal council of Metula. They know him by name, uh, they curse him by name, etc. this kind of thing. And the other thing that they did was to try uh, and send into Israel from Syria um, uh, an attack drone uh, which fell near the town of Beisan and the Jordanian, close to the Jordanian border. Beyond that, there were telephone calls from the successor of Qasem uh, Slimani, uh, General uh, Ismail Kani, the head of the Quds Force of the Revolutionary Guards, uh, solidarity, support, uh, etc. Now, to the first part of your question, we have to remember uh, Hamas is a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. Muslim Brotherhood, of course, Sunnis, devout Sunnis. But since day one, the Islamic uh, revolution in Iran had close relations with the Muslim Brotherhood. Khamenei himself, the supreme leader, translated the books of the top Muslim brothers' leaders. Uh, for example, uh, Said, uh, Said uh, Qutbs, the guy hanged by Nasser, uh, his famous book, uh, the, fifth, the, the, the Forgotten Commandment, that's Jihad, has so many Farsi translations. The first delegations to come to congratulate Khomeini on taking over Iran were Muslim brothers. And I can go for hours on this, but I promise you, I will not. So there is a certain bond also between Hamas being Muslim Brotherhood and Iran. But uh, Hamas has to um, watch uh, the, the extent to which they are aligning themselves with the Iranians, getting blueprints for uh, all sorts of military uh, uh, schemes is one thing. Politically, it's another. I'll give you an example. It's only now that they are beginning to discuss at the edge of Hamas, at the edge of the Iranians, whether to repair the relationship with Assad in Syria. Because Hamas took the side of the uh, insurgents and, it's, uh, and withdrew all its uh, uh, personnel from Damascus. Now Hamas thinks that it may not be a bad idea to resume operating in Syria, especially when the Iranian Revolutionary Guards are there and they can have some military activity uh, from there too. So you have this relationship and the pronounced dec declarations of support, etc. 
But, and I'm finishing here, the end of the day, Hamas has to take into account Egypt, which is the next door neighbor, the Gulf states, from which they keep getting financial support. Not UAE, no more Saudi Arabia. But others, Kuwait, yes. Uh, and when Hamas weighs what they are getting from Iran, and they, at the same time they read the op-ed articles in the Saudi press, mainstream, against Hamas, against Hamas igniting this recent conflict, they are not sure how far they can go. Fascinating, thank you. Um, maybe we can just move back to the West Bank. I've had some questions come through. Um, one here is, is there likely, is there likely to be a movement or more peace or give and take in the West Bank under Abbas now with, with Israel? And yesterday, um, during kind of Secretary Blinken's visits to Israel, you heard a lot of kind of, or IDF officials kind of say about how we, we need to, Israel needs to start empowering the PA more. What does that look like in your view? What does empowering the PA look like? What can, can Israel and maybe the US do um, in the West Bank? I, I believe I, I should, I should uh, stress the obvious that uh, President Biden uh, gave Israel those 10, 11 days to implement the plan that was in the drawers to destroy most of uh, Hamas capabilities. He gave us time, whatever else. Number two, I think Biden and Secretary uh, uh, Blinken and others, Jake Sullivan, etc. we don't have to go through all the names, realize that there is no hope in uh, um, moving uh, to revive a peace process uh, aiming at an end of conflict, end of claims deal. It's not going to happen, unfortunately. And we can explain why, but it's not going to happen. However, I think that they are inclined, they, they did not uh, form a definite approach yet. And I know for fact that they are consulting with many, many people all over, not just in America. What exactly to do? They are looking at a plan to empower the PA, which is very weak and corrupt and doesn't have the sympathy of most of the people in the West Bank. Uh, how to improve the conditions in the West Bank. For example, uh, extending um, the uh, responsibility of Palestinian uh, security uh, forces uh, to Area B, which is under their civilian management, but not, not security-wise. That's possible because we don't want for long a situation in which if, if Abbas wants to move a platoon from the city of Jenin to the city of Nablus, he needs to cross through area B and needs an IDF, the IDF uh, approval, etc. 
Another thing that can be done is extending uh, the responsibilities and the authority of the PA in Area C, which is 60% of the West Bank. Uh, there are lots of things that can be done if the policy adopted uh, strives at improving the situation, upgrading the condition, keeping the, the, the vision of the two states uh, solution alive, rather than, you know, going again like Kerry, a breakthrough into a dead end. Mm. Nobody needs that. Mm. Um, I have another question here, and it's about Jerusalem. Um, what does the latest escalation mean for Jerusalem? Will it affect control over the Temple Mount um, and the court cases regarding Sheikh Jarrah? So has the situation in Jerusalem changed regarding those things? Jerusalem was, of course, the, the, the match for this uh, flare -up. And in Jerusalem, it is my uh, conclusion that at least three uh, mistakes by our police officers, by the way, not necessarily at the top level, uh, created the atmosphere, the climate that, that uh, signaled to Muhammad Daif and the Hamas military leaders, here we have an opportunity. One mistake was to prevent uh, the, 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 the Arab Palestinian youth celebrating the Ramadan to convene as they do for decades after the, pre, after the uh, Iftar. Uh, around Nablus Gate, where you have a sort of a mini amphitheater there, and it's traditional. And somebody decided not to allow it. So they went on throwing stones and Molotov cocktails and fireworks, unnecessary. The second was uh, in Sheikh Jarrah. I'm not going into the details unless you really want me, but this eviction thing of those families is a very complex judicial issue. The Israeli government has different uh, options to resolve the problem. For example, by paying compensation to the Jewish owners, avoiding eviction. In order to do that, they will come, they have to come up against uh, the settlers lobby. They have this association which wants to judify, judaize uh, Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood under the name of uh, Shimon Tzadik, Simon the Just. Uh, and, uh, and in the current, uh, under the current political circumstances in Israeli politics, I don't think Mr. Netanyahu uh, wants to make uh, any enemies on the right. So here's mistake number two, then police allowing a very radical right-wing Kahanist uh, member of uh, Knesset 
to open an office on the street there. Again, drawing reaction. And the third, the, 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 the third mistake was that when uh, Arab youth started, uh, as they sometimes do, throwing rocks and, uh, and, and, and bottles uh, down at the Jews praying at the Kotel, um, the police probably uh, was just a bit. They had to disperse them at the undercourt of Temple Mount. Uh, outside, but probably it was too, too harsh. Uh, now, you already see an attempt by Mr. Abbas to take advantage of the situation and say, no more visits of Jews on Temple Mount. That is to change the status quo. I don't know any Israeli government, not even if it's led by the left wing that can accept it. At any rate, Jews are not allowed to pray on Temple Mount, although some try and then the police remove them, but to prevent visits, I don't think it will go. And I hope Abbas doesn't make it a, a, a precondition for uh, uh, anything. Uh, I think the Americans can encourage Bibi or whoever comes, I don't see who, but to, um, to play it very cautious on the evictions in Sheikh Jarrah, which are not really important, and on what's happening in another place, Silwan, uh, on the uh, southern side of the, of the wall. Thank you. Um, maybe we can kind of take attention to the Gulf and Israel's relations there. Um, I have a question here, and it's to what, um, what is the impact of the current situation on the Abraham Accords and the possible future relations of other Arab states? So how has the escalation affected the Abraham Accords? Well, I think we, I think, I can afford to say that uh, the Accords have survived uh, the violence, uh, but it scarred the relationship. Uh, basically, UAE, Bahrain, and there are others in the queue already, were saying to the Palestinians from the outset, we are not going uh, to allow you to retain a veto power over our relations with Israel. That's pure UAE position. We are going to have relations with Israel, warm relations, uh, and at the end, it's going to serve Palestinian interest as well. I think it's correct because any Israeli government from now on will have to uh, take into account when it uh, uh, formulates policies towards the Palestinians, whether Gaza or the West Bank, have to take into account the impact it may have on our relations with Morocco, UAE, Bahrain. This is one. Second, I think that, and I don't have an answer to that. I think Israel 
has been neglecting um, cultivating and accelerating the pace of normalization with Sudan, uh, simply because the prime minister is too busy. Otherwise, he was very busy with COVID-19 and politics and now Gaza, etc. And the, the people next to him are also elsewhere uh, uh, occupied. So whoever it is that has to look after the relations with the new countries would not be my choice. I'm speaking specifically about Sudan now because it's important. Uh, the second point on this, and much depends on the how much effort the Biden administration is willing to invest in this, is how do we expand the circle of normalization? There are few countries who are, as I said before, how shall I put it? They already wearing robes, robes and bazers, contemplating diving into the, the pool. Uh, but the US has to be there, just like it was with, in any other deal. Uh, so I don't know uh, an administration with, which wanted to have uh, as little to do with the Middle East, what I call the Middle East. Uh, how much are they going to, of their time and effort and capabilities they are going to invest in, I don't know, getting Oman, I'm just giving an example, mm. uh, getting Oman to normalize with Israel, uh, and the same goes for others. Um, thank you, fascinating. So maybe just in terms of Gaza policy, I'll like to ask you a question. Um, obviously, Qataris give 300 or something million a year, or they've allocated that to, 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 um, to Gaza and Hamas. Do, do you see Gaza money continuing over this year? And um, does Israel have an interest in maybe trying to get, you know, the UAE or another country to maybe replace Gaza, I mean, replace Qatar in terms of funding, funding Gaza? Um, just kind of, yeah, how does Israel see that relationship with Qatar and, and Hamas? Uh, I, I mentioned, I've mentioned before, Qatar was not really there in this conflict, although it hosts uh, Mr. Hani and Mr. Amash al Haniya is prevented from going back to Gaza by the Egyptians because he went to visit Tehran publicly. Um, but the Qataris are, are not going to be the kind of players they have been before. This is over. Partly, partly it has to do with uh, internal Qatari uh, troubles. Uh, and I'll, those who are interested, may take a look at the sacking of the finance minister of Qatar, Mr. Imadi. Uh, that has to do, it's linked to all this. Uh, I think that it all hinges on the economic package and that elusive mechanism of supervision. Uh, because I believe 
UAE, for example, and others would be willing to participate. Uh, President Sisi of Egypt promised $500 million. Uh, the IMF report uh, yesterday uh, congratulated Egypt for its economic uh, performance during the pandemic. But can Egypt afford the half a billion dollars uh, uh, to spare? I have my, my doubts. UAE, Saudi Arabia, and I mentioned the Saudi stand in this conflict, uh, can do that. But there is something I, I would like very much to say, and I'll try to say it shortly with your permission. Yep, go ahead. The broader picture. Please take. So I'm not going now into the basic um, development, which is the, the implosion of Arabism, of political Arabism, and what happens to Arab states, etc. I leave it aside. We have now in operation the East Med organization, in which Israel, Egypt, Italy, Greece, Cyprus, others, UAE is an observer. Uh, are uh, uh, cooperating, and not only on gas. They have Air Force, joint Air Force uh, drills, and there will be much more coming in the future. At the southern end of the Suez Canal, we have the Red Sea Council, or the Red Sea Forum, which was initiated by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, for all literal states except Israel. I believe that it would be a good idea to explore the possibility that Israel and the PA uh, join also the Red Sea Council, the PA is on the East Med organization anyway, join the Red Sea Council and here you have the two pillars, the two preliminary pillars of a regional system that can be linked together. Whereas the East Med organization is already tied to EU, France, for example, uh, Italy, and thereby, if you want, to NATO. And the Red Sea Council ultimately may link itself to whatever system will emerge, if it does emerge, of the Quad in the Northern uh, Indian Ocean. So, and this is on the minds of many people in the region. Um, I'm speaking high places. Eritreans, Djibouti, Saudis, Egyptians, Israelis, etc. You have now for the first time, if you want, since the failure of the Baghdad Pact, 50s, we have now a, a prospect of uh, uh, configuring some regional system. Um, This is where my understanding, the UA wants to go, 
Bibi wants to go, and others. Thank you for letting me say that. No, fascinating. Thank you very much. Um, I have some questions, and we bring it back to the, the Palestinian arena again. Um, one question is about kind of Hamas's objectives now vis-a-vis -vis Fatah. Um, so the Hamas objective was to try and take the leadership of the Palestinians after or during the elections. Do you think this is the case after the latest escalation? So is Hamas's goal still to kind of try and take power in terms of the Palestinian the PLO? I think Hamas wants to re-establish uh, the power presence in the West Bank. Okay. They were willing to do that by going to elections. Mm -hmm. Hamas wouldn't have won the elections. I was placing bets. Uh, but they would probably uh, uh, came out of the ballot boxes as the strongest uh, party. Uh, what they want, what they really want is to be able to uh, revive both their political networks and the armed underground that they had in the West Bank prior to the Second Intifada. They've been deprived since 2002 of the uh, uh, system of, of the network of armed cells and they have been disallowed political activity and organization in the West Bank. That's their goal now. Since elections were basically canceled, once Abbas could see reason and understand that he was going to be defeated badly, uh, they will look at other options, how to get there. Uh, if there is one thing that Hamas doesn't want, it is to stay locked, if you want, besieged in this narrow Gaza Strip, 365 square kilometers. Um, another question here is, is do you think uh, Palestinian elections will ever take place under Abbas? Um, and would he ever allow elections where Hamas could actually take control or, or like you said, have a footprint in the West Bank? Or do you think it was all just a kind of Fakhar thing with, with kind of Jerusalem and his reasons to, to cancelling it? Um, I think Abbas would very much like to hold elections, especially presidential elections. Uh, he realizes that uh, the warnings he's been getting from his own people, from Israelis and foreigners not to uh, risk it, were correct. So do I see elections in the near future? Uh, no. I think that the emphasis in Palestinian politics now is that you have two rival um, coalitions fighting fiercely behind closed doors mostly, for succession. But as I said before, Abbas doesn't believe the issue is going to come up, to come up in, the, in, the, in, the next few, in the in the in the next period. Mm. So on the one hand, you have a coalition led by 
is called the Minister of Civilian Affairs. But basically, he's the minister in charge of all relations with Israel. Hossein al-Sheikh, and the head of all the security agencies, General Majid Faraj. They are on the one hand. On the other hand, you have a guy, for example, like Chibril Rajoub, who was the main uh, driving force uh, behind the attempt to reach some accommodation uh, with Hamas. Uh, I think these people are so immersed now in their struggle uh, that the general elections is not undermined. What was very, very impressive to watch was, uh, now during the conflict was, that in spite of this really uh, fierce rivalry within Fatah, um, the Tanzim, the armed elements of the Fatah, especially in the refugee camps, and the poorer neighborhoods of some cities like Nablus, uh, had a lot of demonstrations, shooting in the air and doing everything you people do in demonstrations like this, but they did not uh, 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 use their firearms, and they have plenty, outside their camps and, and neighborhood. In a way, it was a, an illustration that the Palestinian Authority, weak as it is, can still impose discipline on uh, the more dangerous elements uh, within the society. Um, I have a, a question here about Netanyahu's role in strengthening Hamas vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinian Authority. Um, so he's, um, what role has Netanyahu played? But perhaps you can maybe talk a bit more about kind of the, kind of the general Israeli policy in terms of separating the West Bank and Gaza. Is that a policy you think is still effective? Or do you think Israel needs to have a new approach where it tries to help bring about kind of a more connected West Bank and Gaza? You know, whether it's effective, or not, you can tell, I can, today, the Gaza Strip is divorced from the West Bank mm. by curricula, by laws, by many other uh, aspects of life. And I can tell you that since the Hamas takeover of Gaza in June 07, the Arabic of the Gaza Strip is deviating more and more from the dialect spoken in the West Bank. I'll give you an example. That just to, they, have not, they have words that a West Banker or an Israeli Arab would never understand. If we have amongst the, uh, the audience people who speak some Arabic, they have a new word that you don't find in any dictionary in Arabic, Bajawa. Bajawa. Go to any dictionary. Uh, what does it mean, Bajowa? To ride a Peugeot, French Peugeot car, to work. It doesn't exist in the West Bank and many others. So effective, yes, they are growing apart in many ways. Is it Israel's interest? I humbly say probably yes, as long as we cannot have fruitful negotiations 
with the Palestinian Authority. Now, Bibi, there is a legend, and it is a legend, an urban legend, that Israel has created and supported Hamas. I've been on this beat all my life. What happened was that before Hamas was established in uh, late 87, during the first Intifada, the Israeli military administration in the Gaza Strip saw the forerunner of Hamas, Al-Mujamma al-Islami, the Islamic uh, Association led by the late Ahmed Yassin, as a counterweight to the PLO factions in Gaza. So they tolerated their activity, which was not military and not terrorist. This is what happened. The rest is our legends. Now, Bibi's policy has been very simple because he's such an untrigger happy character. I'm saying that, believe me from knowledge. He didn't act in many instances that I thought, and I'm a mainstreamer, that he should probably have acted. The, his policy was containment of Hamas, just containment of Hamas, with as little military friction and, and, <coughs> and confrontation as possible. And this is why he allowed the Qatari money in and was willing always to consider humanitarian help, etc. He didn't have any alternative because as long as you are not going in to uproot Hamas, take over, I don't know, for at least two, three years, the Gaza Strip, what else can you do? Uh, it probably was the only uh, route open to him. Um, Ehud, uh, we've, we've come up to the hour. Thank you so much for that kind of really kind of expertise, kind of HD view of, of the Gaza conflict and, and kind of the Arab world. Um, Ehud, once again, thank you so much for giving us your time. It's really fascinating um, talking to you. And um, to everyone else who, who joined us, thank you very much. And I hope to again see you all soon. Ehud, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.